Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 46. This chapter brings us very near to the end of the patriarchal narrative. The brothers have returned to Canaan and have told their father that Joseph is alive. They have told him that Joseph is not just alive, Joseph is ruling in Egypt, just as those childhood dreams had foretold. They told him of Pharaoh's offer and of Egypt's bounty and of Joseph's eagerness to take care of them. We pick up the story at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Beersheba had been Isaac's home base, and so the fact that Jacob went there and the fact that he addressed God as God of my father Isaac likely means to communicate that Jacob was seeking God's permission to leave the land of promise. Now, this is very interesting, and it seems to indicate that Jacob was learning from his family history. Abraham got into trouble when he went down to Egypt during a time of famine. Jacob wants to make sure that he isn't repeating the mistakes of his forebears. So he prays to the God of his father, and God answers. We see that in verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So God tells Jacob that going down to Egypt this time will not be an act of unfaith as it had been in the time of Abraham. On the contrary, God is in this particular journey. God has purposes for it, for there. I will make you into a great nation. So why was it wrong for Abraham to go down to Egypt during a time of famine in chapter 12, but not wrong for Jacob to do the same in chapter 46? That's a good question. And I suppose there are a couple of different ways you could answer it. You could say that chapter 12 comes before chapter 15. In chapter 15, God said that a part of his plan for the future was a rather long sojourn in Egypt. But... Chapter 12 comes before that, so Abraham was jumping the gun. Maybe a better way to say it would be to say that timing is everything. Some things in life are black and white. Many things in life are black and white. They are always right or always wrong. It is always wrong to commit adultery. There is no day, no week, no month, and no year of your life when committing adultery will be a good thing. It will always be a bad thing. And conversely, there will never be a wrong time to show grace or to be patient or to give generously to the poor. Those are always good things, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. But not everything in life falls into that category. 
There are some things where timing is everything. As it says in Ecclesiastes 3, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to be plucked up, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So sometimes whether a thing is right or wrong has everything to do with the season. In Genesis chapter 12, the emphasis was supposed to be on discovery and trust. Abraham was learning who God was and learning to trust in God's goodness and generosity. Running to Egypt when things got hard was therefore running counter to the purpose of God. But in Genesis 46, the emphasis is on building We've just observed the climax of God's sanctifying work in the lives of Jacob's sons. They are new men. They're ready to serve as foundation stones in the Old Testament version of God's covenant community. They aren't perfect, but they have been prepared. And now it's time to build. And so God is going to hide them away in Egypt. And he is going to make of them a great nation. So, going to Egypt now is good. Going to Egypt in chapter 12 was bad. Like I said, sometimes timing is everything. And that is why Jacob wisely went to the Lord before making this decision. It wasn't black or white. It wasn't simply a matter of avoiding evil or choosing the good. The way ahead wasn't clear. So Jacob sought the Lord. This is wisdom. Proverbs Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I love what Matthew Henry says about this entire episode. He says, Those who desire to keep up communion with God shall find that it never fails on his side. If we speak to him as we ought, he will not fail to speak to us. That's a good word. Verse 5 goes on to say, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. That's a very telling phrase. Jacob paused, unlike father, grandfather Abraham, unlike his own younger self. Jacob doesn't just charge in. He's a man of faith now. He he wants to do the will of the Lord. So he stops. He prays. God speaks. And then, and only then, Jacob moves. This is yet another indicator in the text telling us that Jacob is a changed man. The story goes on to say, The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. 
and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimram, the sons of Zebulun, Zerad, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Paden Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Erodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Biriath, and Sira, their sister. And the sons of Biria, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. Now, just to pause here, it seems a bit incredible to us that Benjamin could have ten sons. Isn't he just a little boy in this story? Well, of course, nowhere in the text does it say that he's a little boy at this point. The text says that he was the youngest brother and the child of his father's old age. But if you read carefully and note the time indicators, it is clear that Benjamin has been a young man throughout the narrative of the famine and the various back and forth journeyings to Egypt. Derek Kidner says Benjamin was at least in his 20s, more probably in his 30s, since Joseph was now about 40. So if Benjamin was 33 years old, then it is entirely conceivable that he could have 10 kids by the time his family migrated down to Egypt. He was obviously very healthy and very blessed by the Lord. We pick up the story in verse 23. The son of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jazeel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Now, if you're good at math and can add pretty quick while you read, then you probably notice that all of the people just listed don't actually add up exactly to the number 70. 33 descendants are attributed to Leah, 16 to Zilpah, 12 to Rachel, and 7 to Bilhah. That's 68. But Er and Onan died in Canaan, so they obviously didn't make the trip. That takes us down to 66, the number given in verse 26. If you then add in the two sons born to Joseph in Egypt, you get 68. And then if you add in Dinah, you get 69, not 70. Now, it's probably the case that we are meant to add in Jacob himself, but it's also true that we are to see 70 as a sort of symbolic number. Numbers in Hebrew culture often pull double duty as symbols. 
The JPS Torah Commentary says, for example, that the number 70 is used here, as elsewhere in biblical literature, to express the idea of totality. And that is very likely the case. This is the sum total of the ground floor of the people of God, you might say. One full family, 70 people, from which God would build a nation and through which God would bring a savior for the entire world. Verse 28 tells us, He, meaning Jacob, had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Now, by the way, just notice that the Bible highlights here the fact that it is Judah who is sent ahead to arrange the rendezvous with Joseph. Well, of course, we remember that it was Judah who was responsible for their separation in the first place. After God changes us, he very often gives us the chance to make amends for the wrongs we have done. Thanks be to God. Verse 29 says, Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now here we see Joseph's concern for his family to remain apart from the center of Egyptian cultural influence. He wants them to be in Egypt, but not of Egypt. Egypt will serve as the nursery for the nation of Israel, but it must not serve as their standard of reference. Israel is to be a people apart. They are for the nations, but they cannot be like the nations. Israel must learn to look to the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. 
There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 